Good morning. Uh, like Jared said, my name is Trevor. I'm a member of the church. It's really great to be able to kind of facilitate this time this morning. Um, so like Jared said, we are officially kind of as a teaching series concluded with the Sermon on the Mount. And so, but before we moved on, we thought what a cool opportunity it would be for us to communally just hear how our brothers and sisters have been engaging with that. What's, what's kind of been going on behind the scenes, the wrestles, the victories. And if that feels a little bit uncomfortable for you, or you're thinking like, boy, that's not what church is. Church is like the preacher guy and the, the songs. Um, and you're questioning like, should we be doing this dialogue? I would just, uh, I, I would say that any of that confusion gets answered when we ask this one question. Like, what are we? Right? In some ways, it's like a DTR between you and I. And like, are we in the friend zone? Or are we something more than this, right? And so the New Testament makes it pretty clear that you and I are not in the friend zone, but rather we are uh, unified through Christ as a family, brothers and sisters. And the natural outflow of that then is that we would be curious about the lives of the people around us. And we would want to know how God is um, working among us as a gathered group of believers working in our area. And so that's what we're doing. It's really as simple as that. And it's a worthwhile use of our time. Like Jared said, we are kind of, you know, to pin it on a scripture, we're using 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 26, which simply says this. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a language or tongue, or an interpretation, and let all things be done for the building up. Now, this is within the context of Paul teaching about uh, kind of order of service and use of tongues and a gathering, but all of it really has to do with like what it should be like and feel like when you're gathered. And so this is still applicable to us. Um, like when you are gathered, all things should be done for building up. Each one should have a voice where they are, are um, testifying to the, what God is doing in the world. So um, I was kind of asked to do two things with my, my role this morning. First one is just set up our, our conversation to like give us some, some ways of understanding what we're doing. And then two, to share a bit of my own reflections uh, from my own heart um, with the Sermon on the Mount. And so to start with just our time and maybe some ways to think about our group conversation, um, we'll start there. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for, gosh, do any of you guys remember like since January, um, I think it's been 26 weeks, Jared told me, 26 weeks of Sermon on the Mount content alone. Now, if you are like me at all, I have the attention span of a goldfish. And so 26 weeks, I'm like, gosh, like I'm ready to be done. Like, let's move on, right? Like, let's get something more. But interestingly, simultaneously, I also feel like every single week, I feel like a mile behind. And I'm like, there's no way I can not only wrap my brain around the teaching that Jesus has given us, much less like orient my heart around it and the externals of my life. And so while I feel like it's too slow, simultaneously I'm thinking like, there's no way I'm, I'm so far behind. And so as we realize that, um, there's this equation that I think is really relevant for you and I. Um, it goes like this, gospel plus safety plus time equals gospel culture and or gospel transformation at an individual level. So what that means is gospel, meaning the, the good news that you needed help and someone came to help you. Plus safety, meaning the safety you have with God 
through that gospel, you also experience that safety relationally with the people around you. It means that we're not impatient with each other, but rather we extend the same grace that God gives unworthy sinners. We give that same grace to the unworthy sinners around us. And then lastly, time. Just the reality that your heart is slow and my heart is slow. And so at best, I will be a little bit better at the end of my life than I am right now. I will not be perfect by the time I die. And so what you and I need is gospel plus safety plus time. And the result of that is gospel culture, meaning you and I feel a culture shaped by the good news of Jesus. And personally, we experience gospel transformation. And so the reason that's important is it, because it, it like frees up that tension, right? Every week, gosh, how could I ever absorb this and be transformed in one week? You just can't. The reality is, even looking at the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, you will never accomplish that in your entire lifetime. It literally took the death and resurrection of the king of the universe to get you there. And so what that means is you and I have the safety to every week give ourselves to the process, knowing it's just going to take a long time. Now, we've talked a lot about the Sermon on the Mount. We've said that it's not your to-do list, and that's because it's not. You have the gospel from Christ, you have the safety with him, and you have the time to work that out. And what this does, the reason it's so important, is when you have safety, you're just able to be joyful because we interact with the Sermon on the Mount not as the crushing burden that you have to do in order to earn God's grace, but rather it's the beautiful values of his kingdom that we are being transformed into. And so what that means for you and I today is as much as our, our dialogue could be, well, I'm just really like failing to live up to the Sermon on the Mount here and here, and I really am not doing good enough here. Good news is that we have the safety to say, boy, I'm not meeting up to this standard. Jesus, thank you for the work that you are doing. Like, in, like, I'm so excited to see the little changes. We're able to give praise and recognition to the little things. So that's going to be our goal for today, right? So could you right now make the decision to have joy? We're about to evaluate ourselves and our lives over the past eight months according to the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like for us to make the choice to have joy and praise. Have you done it perfectly? Nope, not at all. Have I? Nope. So let's choose to be grateful for the king that has given us safety. Now, two last parts before we move on is, the first is uh, we strive to be wholehearted disciples of Jesus. That means he has the whole of our hearts. So as you and I engage with this, let's engage both our minds, our cognition, but also the whole of us, which encapsulates our emotions and our spirit. So um, I know I'll be asking you guys some questions about that. Like not only how has Jesus' teaching educated you, but how has it affected you? How are you feeling him? So I'm going to ask some of those questions. And then the last thing that will guide our time is in addition to striving to be joyful, and emotionally engaged, let us strive to be unimpressive. Just flat out not trying to impress anyone. Um, like, don't feel the need to put on spiritual language, uh, sound the right way, like study your way through it as honestly as possible. And I think the result is we will all experience quite a bit of joy today. 
if we're freed from having to be impressive to the people around us. Now, the second thing I was asked to do is just share a little bit of my own reflections on the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is going to be kind of the beginning of our group dialogue. Is me just inviting you to like know a bit of, of my heart and my story um, over the last couple months. So as I've began reflecting, just like, okay, how has the Sermon on the Mount not only educated me, but how is it, like, what's it doing when it hits me? Um, I kind of first started to wonder, like, what is... Like emotionally, like how have I engaged with the Sermon on the Mount? When I think of the Sermon on the Mount, like how do I feel about it? Does it scare me? Like do I feel intimidated by it? Am I afraid of it? Um, and interestingly, I, I, I can pretty honestly say that I just feel eager. Like that's the nearest emotion I can think of. It's like I feel eager for the teachings of Jesus. And it, the truthfully, like, it's super distant. Like, it is not describing me in my heart posture. It is, like, incrementally more so. But I just find myself, like, I have an appetite for living my life and being the way that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was thinking about that, I was honestly surprised. Like, eager feels like a weird word to use. And I realized that a huge part of why I can say I'm eager is because I can say that I feel safe with the Sermon on the Mount because of that gospel plus safety plus time element. I know that God's grace is not dependent on my ability to live it out, and therefore I feel safe by it, and I desire it. Because if we don't have safety, it's only, it is just like a crushing load. And I've just realized, as I see that eagerness, I just realized how insufficient I am. Like, I will never absorb the Sermon on the Mount out of my own discipline or self-will. Those things are part of the picture, 100%. But I just realized, like, I just can't be this person. I literally need outside intervention. I need a miracle of God to point me in this direction and transform me over time. And I surprisingly feel like eagerness and safety to do that. And one more thing I've just really appreciated as I've reflected on the Sermon on the Mount is just like how specific Jesus is. Um, if you guys have been here the last couple of weeks, you know he's just like real on point. And he touches on a lot of different things. And, and I've appreciated his specificity for a couple of reasons. One is just like at a real practical level, like he's given me boundaries. Like he kind of, he's helping shift like the lanes I drive in. And one of the biggest ways that I felt that or, or could explain that is uh, with his teaching on lust, right? Jesus, he, his words are, you've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at another human with lust in their heart is essentially equivalently done so. And the reason I, I say that is so helpful is because I've realized if the rule was only like, don't commit adultery, it'd be really easy for like my personality to go, okay, great, I'm not doing that, 10 out of 10, and then allow a little bit of space for the stuff that goes on back here, right? those little buds of thought. And where I've really appreciated Jesus is his sternness and saying like, no, even the bud of thought in your brain will kill you and hurt the people around you. And with that, like the severity with which he says that allows me to realize like that little bud in the back of my brain, like I can't even allow that at all. 
Like even the small parts of my brain and my heart, like I need to give to him. And so the, like his willingness to be stern in the specifics has been really helpful as I curb my heart and try to like live according to his instruction. But then secondly, it's just his specificity is so helpful because it, I feel like it does this job of equipping. Maybe you guys resonate with like, oh, I really want to follow Jesus. Like Now what do I do? Like follow him, like give me specifics. And that's literally what he's doing is he's saying, okay, here's what that means. It means you turn over even the small parts of your thoughts around lust and anger and self-righteousness. It means when you give, do this. When you pray, do this. Store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And he's like giving me actual things that I can begin to grab and shape my life around. And all of those things, are, many of those things are hard and kind of threatening, but they're specifics. And I've really just appreciated that. And so my last kind of point of reflection as I've thought about this is the reality that my own heart, like, I just like squirm out of Jesus's presence really easily. Like when he, he gets too near, like my heart posture is like, and I kind of hide or I put up a posture of spirituality even between him and I. And it's brought again to my mind the role of abiding. Uh, if you guys remember, we've talked about that kind of on and off for the last nine months, like abiding. And it's brought back to the front of my mind the need for me to spend time with him in like that personal presence space, not just in the cognition of learning how to tangibly live, but how to be with him. And that that is the thing that has over time transformed who I am. And, and without any sense of superiority, I, I think I can truthfully say the last eight months of learning from Jesus has made who I am more Jesus-y. Like I'm a little bit more like him than I was nine months ago. Still super Trevor, but like a little bit more Jesus-y Trevor. And, and I'm grateful for him. And so that is very much like our hope for today as the fourth wall is about to come down and you and I are going to begin to have a conversation and we're just going to like hear into one another's journeys. Like where have you been encountering Jesus, not only in the head or maybe express that, but also like, where is it hit home here? Where has that worked itself out? Um, and so to help with that, I have a handful of questions. Would you guys throw those six questions on the screen? You guys ready? Okay. So here's the six questions that I'm going to kind of ask you. Uh, these are a framework for us. If you have something to say that's outside of this, we'd love to hear it. I just wanted to give us something to move through, to provide some structure, stimulate some thought. So these are the six questions we'll move through kind of one at a time. First one is, when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, that title, Sermon on the Mount, like what emotions do you feel at a gut level? How do you feel about it? Number two, like at a, at a cultural level, kind of within America, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, like which of Jesus's teachings feel most accepted or normal and yet misunderstood? Like third question is what parts of the Sermon on the Mount do you feel most personally at odds with? Like which one do you have a hard time like accepting? And then number four, what's been changing inside of you? Like so much of the transformation that Jesus offers affects our externals, but it's actually about this. And then that kind of flows outward. And so what's been going on inside of you? And also, like, how's that come out and express itself? 
Number five is real simple. Just like, what's been a win? What's something you're glad for? And then number six, how has the Sermon on the Mount made the gospel, which means the good news that you've been saved, how has it made it even better news? Now, um, before we go over this, uh, just a couple things. One, it's about to get real. It's going to be a microphone. and You guys are going to have to talk into that microphone. <laughs> and so again, I would ask you to choose just to speak. Even if you're the person who would normally be like, no, never, not in a million years. Just choose. Um, choose to participate. And here's why. We need your voice. Each of us individually, we need to know we're not alone. The, the wrestles we have with Christ, the joys we have as we follow him, we need to know that we're not islands of spirituality. But like we, as a gathered group of people, are simultaneously experiencing God's goodness. That builds us up. So would you share that with us? With that microphone, if you put it down here like this, no one's going to hear you. And so you got to bring it up here and be nice and loud, so that way as a room we can hear you. Um, and then again, if you have something to share that's not on the screen, um, that's okay, share it. I would maybe like try to time it so it's in that section that feels most relevant. Um, and if you have kind of a pr something that's sparked based on these questions, or these questions, um, just save that until we get to that point. And that'll help our conversation go a little bit more smoothly. Um, would you pray with me really quick? Father, um, would you help us this morning to be at ease with one another? Uh, we are not at risk of judgment. Um, we don't need to be impressive or use the right words. Uh, you have bought us or you've brought us gospel in order to buy us safety and give us time. Would you help us to taste that this morning? Give us bravery and spirit. Um, would you teach us, even in this, would you reveal things about our own hearts as we reflect and share this morning? Would you guide our time? We love you. Amen. Um, so before I begin asking questions, I would just ask that you do this. Would you grab your Bibles or your Matthew journals? Grab them really quick and go to Matthew chapter 5. So the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, 7. Would you just spend about 45 seconds flipping through that? Just look at the headers. Familiarize yourself again. Like what, what has he taught? What are the things that you've liked, you've been challenged with? Just look over that list. Feel free to keep flipping through, but I'm going to move on. So before we begin, pop quiz. True or false? The Sermon on the Mount is your to-do list to earn God's grace. False. Second question, true or false? The Sermon on the Mount is who we are becoming in the kingdom of God. True. True. With that, let's choose to be joyful and unimpressive and honest and enjoy our time together. Um, so first question, when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, that, that title, that phrase, what emotions do you feel at a gut level? Would you raise your hand? Jared will come over with the microphone at a gut level. And maybe it's like making noise, like, woo. <laughs> so go ahead. Uh, usually failure. Yeah. Um, how has that changed the last eight months as we've been in it more and more? Has it changed? Has it stayed that way? Uh, changing more into 
becoming a reality that it isn't a to-do list. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Steve. takes away that aspect. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, I think for me in the past, it's just been kind of like, I'm bored. Like, I've heard this so many times, but I think that's been changing a lot. Cool. Where have you felt most interested? Probably the Beatitudes. Why is that? Um, just seeing that, like, what those really reflect in a heart level, not just a, a doing level. It's yeah. been different. Thanks, Melissa. Hey, one request. Um, when Jared hands you the mic, would you just state your name so we can get familiar with each other? I'm Whitney, and the Sermon on the Mount, I think this time around, has felt really equipping to me, as Trevor said. And then in that equipping, I feel really excited to get to be a part of this kingdom. Um, I think seeing it in the past as a checklist of these are the things I have to do, um, but this time seeing it as like, this is a really cool body to be a part of, and as I'm trying to come under these concepts, like my brothers and sisters around me are, and what a beautiful, just a beautiful thing to be a part of. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah. I think it really comes down to one word for me, and that's insufficient. Uh, and I think over the course, uh, the last few months, it has uh, it really become much less of a checklist. And uh, I really appreciate that, because uh, I always have felt insufficient when I read through this list. Yeah, I feel kind of weak today, but um, I'm Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. Um, I think it's paradoxical. I, there's this sense that you're never going to do this right. You're never going to get it completely done. And yet it's the already not yet that we live in, in this world. And, and the fact is, is that uh, the righteousness of Christ belongs to us. He fulfilled this. And because he fulfilled this, so can we. Yeah. in his strength and that has been um, something I think that I've realized in a, in a fresher way um, not just in the teaching but also in the, in, the, in the culture in the community of believers here and uh, it's wonderful it's wonderful and like you I'm, I think I've always yeah he's eager he's kind of weird but he's eager you know he's earnest um and I think the Lord is kind of uh, helping me to see where, you know, the division between me striving in my eagerness and earnestness yeah. and me uh, kind of letting God just gradually bring me, bring me through that door. Yeah, thanks, Jim. This is Roy. Um, I think for me, like, the Sermon on the Mount it, I think the thing that hits me most is that it is so, I guess, just relevant to where we are in our daily lives and just like how simple the principles are that he's teaching, but yet how difficult those are. Um, and I think for me, it's just laying down each one, one at a time and, and just, you know, how easy it is to understand. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I'm going to move on, but if, again, this is kind of an open format, so if you've got more things you want to chime in, feel free. But the next kind of big question is, at a cultural level, right, thinking our, our country, Christian or non-Christian, uh, which of Jesus' teachings feel most accepted and misunderstood? Hi, my name's Matt. Uh, I, for me, I think of the, the golden rule. 
Um, I think it's most widely known, but most misunderstood as in, you know, this thing of like a karma, this cosmic justice of, hey, you better treat me right or something bad is gonna happen to you instead of that positive teaching of treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, yeah. we need to be doing out to others. Um, that's what sticks out the most to me. Yeah, I think of those like instant karma videos on YouTube. Yeah. This is Alana, Matt's wife. And I think the most widely accepted and most misunderstood is judge not. Hmm. Because everybody, if anybody has anything to say and you're, they know you are a believer, judge, you can't judge me and blah, blah, blah. And yet, like, kind of can, so, I mean, you yeah. know, with all with grace and everything. Yeah. Do, do you think you could, in a short sentence or two, like, help us understand what, like, what is Jesus teaching when he says, judge not? Just not to be hypocritical, because if we are judging other people, there are still sins that we are guilty of, so we really shouldn't be condemning others, but more offering grace and hope and through the Lord. Yeah. Thanks, Alana. Yeah. It makes it tough. I think enemy love is one that is both really compelling and um, profound when we see an example of it in the news or whatever, people are moved by that, but also not a good idea for whatever situation that I personally am in, um, or even that our country is in. That's just not yeah. um, the way things are approached. So our kind of next question to consider is, and this one's I think where we really get into the meat of it, uh, like, what parts of the Sermon on the Mount do you personally feel most at odds with? Like, when you get to it, like, which one stings the most? Maybe a kind of an interesting way to think is, like, which part of Jesus' teaching, if it just wasn't there, would make the whole thing easier? Hi, I'm Jackson. Uh, I don't go here, so I wasn't a part of the whole Sermon on the Mount, but I've read it before. Um, the part, to me, that's the most challenging, I would say, is laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, for the longest time, I thought I did a great job with that part because I don't really have a lot of treasure, but uh, <laughs> that's not really what it's saying. Um, yeah, your, your heart, where your treasure is, uh, there your heart will be also serving two masters, that whole kind of tension of being in the world, having to live in the world, having practical things to need to take care of that require, by default, um, being invested and, and, and caring and being attached to them, yet ultimately living for a kingdom that isn't this kingdom. That whole, uh, yeah, that tension is, is, is challenging, and it would be a lot easier to just completely plug into the world, separate the whole gospel message into, like, a nice moral code, and, uh, you know, just proceed with your, with your life. But, but Jesus wants to rule over the practical. He wants to rule over the money. He wants to rule over your ambitions, your goals, your attachments here, and and be in charge of those things. And that's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. uh, the part that stings the most for me is I never knew you. Um, and that that could actually be a reality. Um, 
I think it also has moved the Sermon on the Mount from a to-do list because the to-do list says, I need to look this way to a heart posture change of like, God, like I need you. You need to come reorient my life. You need to change what I desire when I wake up in the morning and what I live my life for um, so that this hopefully one day will not be my reality of, Lord, Lord, I've done everything for your kingdom. And him say like, well, I didn't know you. Um, A lot of parts have stung, but (laughs) I'll pick one. (laughs) Um, I really wrestled, Trevor, after you preached on retaliation. Um, Not because I've ever felt tempted to like physically pounce on somebody or retaliate in that way, but God just wrestled with my heart of like how my self-protection is a form of retaliation. So like if someone, if I sense that someone didn't care as much as I did, oh, well now I need to take a step back and not care. Or if someone, if someone was acting out of their wounds and wounded me, like I wanted to like put up walls and Jesus just like wrestled me down with like, I was wounded for everybody. And if I am enough for you, like you don't have to hurt somebody back. And I realized that like self-protection and walls is a way of kind of hurting people. Uh, I'm Steven. Um, I think one of the ones that was kind of at odds for me or makes it hard for me to kind of get over is just the do not be anxious. It's too hard to not worry about those things because if I don't, then who will? And it's, there's not enough trust there to think that God will actually take care of those little things. Um, It's up to me to make sure I provide and I make thing ends meet. Yeah. Have you felt that change at all, Stephen? Yeah, I think God's put in situations where what I thought would work or um, where ends would meet the way that I lined them up and then um, things didn't work out the way I thought and then things would happen in ways where I was just amazed and it's like I did nothing for this to happen, but yet it did. So it does, I've seen him provide in ways that I couldn't have in even simple, small things. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. I'm Gray. Uh, I want to add on to what Stephen was saying, where, you know, we can do as much as we want to try and get things to go our way or to, like, make our plan work out. But ultimately, if we're not trusting in God and just say, hey, I give this to you, you're in control and just submitting that control to him. Like, I mean, from what I've found, my plan never goes how I want it to go. And if I'm not trusting God and saying, hey, you're in charge of this, I'm trusting you to, you know, be in control of the situation when I don't do that. I'm just super stressed and worried and nothing seems to work out. Yeah. Um, I think just if I was going to chime in personally, the anxiousness, something that's been new for me as we've gone through this is um, realize the difference of kind of like first half of life, second half of life stuff. And just the reality of like in my, in my youth, um, it was just was easier to be not anxious. And, and as I've kind of gotten into more and more full adulthood, just like, crap happens like real crappy crap happens and like the whole anxiousness thing goes from being like cute and jesusy to like this is hard and and yet um 
right? His extension to us is not only like, Trevor, stop being anxious. It's like, Trevor, I see it. But remember, I'm here. And that's just been really impactful for me. Yeah, for me, um, what parts of the Sermon on the Mount do you feel most at odds with? I think the one that is continually wrestling with me and, and just feels like deep clash in my own soul is um, enemy love. Um, and it's the, there's like big picture questions, ethical questions, being a dad of four and a husband, like what does it look like to protect in a situation where um, my family is being threatened? There's, there are those questions, but there, there's also like these functional questions that are far more relational and subtle, kind of like what Sharon was talking about. Like enemy love also looks like keeping an open-hearted posture towards people who have wounded me or hurt me, and I don't like that. I just don't. Uh, I would, I, it would be far easier, and historically, like I have a story that um, I've lived with a lot of relational cutoff, where if a person hurts or wounds, I just cut them off. I might look okay here, but here, at like a heart level, you're out. And, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit is undoing that, and I'm, and I'm, but I'm like right on the precipice of it. At 43 years old, I'm like starting to see family patterns Yes, in my in my history and parents and grandparents, but I'm seeing those patterns like played out now over a couple of decades in adulthood, and I'm going and, and the Holy Spirit is saying this too has to change, and so I feel at odds with it because I've lived one way for 23 years as an adult, 25 years as an adult, and now I'm I'm starting to shift. But all that change, so much of that change is internal. Yet it's like it's it's eking out like ever so slowly into a way that you might feel it as a person that I'm in relationship with. Yeah. I want to move on to the next question, and I'm going to combine these next two because they're kind of similar. Um, just like, what's been changing inside of you? So much of that true transformation is not only what we do, but it's like, who am I? And then how does that change what I do? And so what's been changing inside of you, the subtle things that no one would notice, but also how maybe has that been coming out in small ways? And with that, like, what's just been a win? What's a, a, a thumbs up? Like, Jesus, thanks for doing this. So my name is Joe. Um, I think kind of a subtle change for me is thinking, like, on chapter 6, when he gives the command to pray like this. I think it's easy to say, I kind of skip verse 9 and, nine and 10. I think I, well, I think I skip the main two, first two verses. I go straight to, give me my daily bread. <laughs> And I think, you know, especially in this time of need, give me what I need, give me, give me, give me, and even, you know, free me from temptation and give me freedom from my sins and kind of do skip. And I think kind of that change of we need to start with his holiness, his will, his kingdom, not skip those verses. Like, it's not just about what I get. It kind of relates to the last question and, um, feeling the most odds and it was kind of the same with Stephen and Grave um, anxious do not be anxious and Matthew 6 33 has kind of been a verse I've gone back through I guess my whole Christian walk a favorite or my first whatever you want to call it but seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you um, and just that dependency hmm. and I think it applies 
pretty much with the whole certain amount of um, that initial feeling like you fall short, but having to be dependent on God for these things. And I think you talked about that, of that outside change um, and just being more dependent, um, constant dependency. Um, so I've, I've definitely felt that growing. Yeah. Matt, do you feel like do you feel like your family would have noticed that change in you? I, I, I mean, I I'm know. just saying this, like yeah. I'm looking at your two sons and your wife and just wondering like, gosh, like what's their experience of Matt been as, as you're wrestling through anxiousness and trust? And... Maybe, I think I keep a lot of that inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm anxious or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, you're you're a mellow guy. Yeah, you you're internal. I get it. Anyone else? Like what? It's been changing inside of you. What's a win? <laughs> um, I think this season going through it just kind of embracing the fact that um like the Sermon on the Mount is a lot of me and him, but it's also full of the kingdom and the body and I guess kind of um, having like an authentic joy and rest that um, I belong in this kingdom because he brought me here I guess just kind of um, like I think I've been saved since I was tiny and I've always felt secure in my in eternity but I've always felt out of place and kind of off to the side. And I guess this season, just kind of seeing um, seeing how beautiful this body is that he has, um, like he's called all of us. It's not just, it's so, I don't know, like it blows my mind just kind of trying to picture how everybody in this room or everybody in, in my circle or in my life has not been an accident that he's placed it all there and it's all been um, orchestrated by him and just feeling really cared for and really loved by um, like my father but and my king and my friend but like also his children and that's just been an awesome part of this like going through the sermon this this season. While Jared's handing that to Melissa, I'll just say this. If you're the quiet person who's like kind of wanting to say something but hasn't yet raised your hand, just consider if you should. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I think I've just been seeing like a growing love for the kingdom of God and just an eagerness to be a part of that. And that kind of ties into what um, I feel most at odds with of just, I would like to not be persecuted. But I think growing in love for the kingdom has slowly helped with that. Yeah. Of just seeing that it's worth it and that one day will be a reality. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa.
No, this is the slouch couch. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tom. Um, this is kind of a little bit about four and five put together, and it's uh, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Um, I know, at least for me, but probably for almost everybody in this room, I don't think anybody will ever be 100% righteous. Uh, that's a pretty tall order. Um, and I work on it as hard as I can it's with my wife and my children. And uh, it's, it's something that is continually hungering and thirsting because we in the flesh, uh, if we don't drink water, we're going to die. If we don't eat, we're going to die. And so that's part of our flesh, fleshness, and I think that's why Christ brought this up, because uh, we have to want righteousness as bad as we want uh, a cheeseburger and fries when we're really, really, really hungry. And um, so that's, that's my take on this, and I'll always continue on my quest to be a little bit more righteousness, righteous, because I will never completely and totally attain that. Yeah. I'm going to move on to the last question. And again, this is a great opportunity. If you've kind of been holding something back, not knowing if, if you feel comfortable with that, I would just encourage you to share with us. We, we need to hear how God is present in your life. But the last question is, how has the body of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, how has it made the gospel the good news that we who are worthless have been rescued by a king, how has it made that good news even better news? I'm Chris, and um, I think what really stands out to me is how I'm just not able to do this stuff on my own. Um, You know, I can't do the Sermon on the Mount like a to-do list like I've done my whole life or tried to do my whole life and realizing the need for Jesus Christ um, and and the gospel of how he he died for me it just brings in a reality of that you know more and more of how I just I can't do these things on my own and helps me lay down my life more by understanding that more. I think this has made me more excited for the good news. I think as we look through this, it's like, man, this is hard. Like, I don't love my enemies like that. I do want to retaliate. Like, no matter where we're at in the Sermon Mount, we've all expressed this, like, we do feel insufficient. But that makes the good news that, like, it's not up to me even better of, like, hearing kingdom living and the expectations of Jesus and our Father makes the gospel even way better, knowing that, like, I can't do it, so I'm really, really thankful that I have the gospel and the good news. Yeah, for me, it, um, Trevor, you showed a clip of Alistair Begg a while back um, in this little two-minute sermon where he was saying, like, person was being interviewed kind of at the gates of heaven and and uh and some this person was asking like on what merit are you here and and eventually he just said the man on the middle cross said i could be here like that's why i'm here and i've uh, the sermon on the mount has made the gospel even better news to me because i recognize that like chris and like whitney have said and others 
on my merit, I can't live up to this standard. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we're seeing and hearing Jesus' teaching, but we're seeing his life alongside it, and his life lived is not at odds with his teaching. He is no hypocrite. He's fulfilling that. And so um, my entrance to the kingdom of heaven has to be on the merit of Jesus Christ and on his willingness and ability to live it out and to fulfill it. And so I can kind of just like, like just push all of my effort in his court and just say him, like, look at him. That's how I, that's how I got here. And I'm going to, and I'm going to keep trusting him and he's going to coach me and he's going to say, Hey, like live into this, repent of this, believe this, stop this. And, and, and I can attentively say, okay, Coach Jesus, he's more than that, but he certainly is also the one who coaches us through his teaching. And so it's become better news to me as I get to see Jesus living it out, and it's on his merit that I get in. Yeah. Jared, while you're walking it over to one of these guys, I'll just give some something that's been made, like it's made it better news for me, is um, in some ways it's made the kingdom of God more tangible and more human. Like the kingdom of God and the gospel is not just like, a religious idea, but it's actually attached to human beings. And like Tom in the back, that's my dad. And he was talking about like, I'll never be, I'll never hunger and thirst for true righteousness. And I'll never be truly righteous. And I think what, what this is doing in some ways is it's making this, the humanity really real and realizing like in this like eternity future um, remade world, like it sounds weird to say, but like I'll experience my dad as a truly righteous man resurrected of body and spirit by Christ. And like the ways that I've experienced him and you guys and myself as like broken individuals, like, like I'll get to like live with him as a whole man and live with you guys as whole people, no strife, like full righteousness. And like, that's pretty like, that's some good news. Okay. So who's got the mic? Uh, I'm Gray again. One thing that I kind of took out of it, I mean, I didn't go through the study with you guys, but, you know, I've read it and just kind of glossing over it again is a lot of the time I feel like we look at salvation as we go to heaven when we die. You know, we have eternal life. We have eternity with God. But the Sermon on the Mount kind of points out that that starts now. That's for today where this is how we live with God and we can experience that salvation and start living for eternity today. So it's just kind of like, we're, we're not just there waiting, we're in it with Jesus. So that to me was really cool. So we're out of time. Do you guys want to let Stephen talk or should we just cut him off? <laughs> Stephen's like, I'm done. Uh, all right, we're going to conclude our time um, in this way. We're going to take communion together. Uh, what we've just done for 50 minutes together is we've just t- shared with each other how we've tasted the goodness of God's kingdom and the goodness of him not coming as a teacher with a to-do list, but coming as a king who rescues and transforms. We're all messily trying to work that out. But so in the same way we've tasted that through story, uh, this is what communion is. We get to taste that. 
you know, taste the bread and the wine that represent the ways that he's redeemed you. The life and death that has proved this is not your to-do list. You do need to do it, right? Be hearers and doers because you've been redeemed. 